Hello and welcome to the Global Insights Podcast, brought to you by SPS, your reassuring partner in times of need. My name is Laura Woods and I'll be your host. And throughout this series, over the next few weeks, we'll dive into real stories, feature expert insights and thought-provoking discussions that should strike a chord with anyone who values safety, security and the thrill of exploration. So whether you're a seasoned chief security officer, a corporate security stakeholder or a leisurely traveller, this podcast is your passport to a world of knowledge. On this episode, we'll be focusing on the ever-evolving intersection of hospitality and security. Today, we'll address the trends, training and challenges faced in a fast-moving industry where the lines between hospitality and security overlap. And the man who will help us to do just that is our guest today, a multi-award winning, globally renowned authority and now college professor in the subject, Mr. Paul Moxness. Paul, you're very welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me on, Laura. I'm looking forward to our chat. You know, it's such an interesting topic and I'm delighted that we're covering this because you're the expert. No doubt you'll have us very well informed. Many people may not know that there has been I suppose, emerging of the two industries in recent years. Could you take us back to your beginnings in terms of your career when you first started out as a security guard? How did you get involved in the industry, first of all? Oh, by mistake, actually, Laura. So I, I was uh, 10 years into what I like to call my four-decade-long gap year. I just left university where I studied psychology and I needed a job. I wanted to work in travel, but nobody would hire me. And Uh, I ended up getting so desperate that I applied for a job as a hotel security guard. And uh, they didn't want to hire me either. At my interview, the security manager said, well, you know, you're you're too old and too educated for this job. And I was 27 with an unfinished master's degree. But he was honest. A couple of weeks later, he phoned me up and said, "I, I really don't want to hire you. But there was only two applicants for the job, and the other person doesn't want it. Is that right? <laughs> and so long story short, yeah, <laughs> nobody else wanted me either, so I stayed with that company for my whole career. My goodness. Who would have known back then that it was the start of such an interesting career for you? But take us back to those early days, because what was the relationship between hospitality and security when you started your work as a security guard? Did it exist at all? Not really, because in... Our hotel, we were a very reactive department. So when we were the people you called when everything was going wrong, we were separate from hotel operations to the point where we would have meetings in security and decide which hotel department we were going to focus on so we could find out everything that was wrong with them and and write reports about it. And so there wasn't really, we weren't really integrated uh, into the hotel operation at all. We were reactionary and non-prevention focused. (laughs) Very different to how it is today. And I know this is a basic question, but what is corporate security? What does it actually encompass? Yeah. So when I, the company I worked for was Radisson, or became Radisson Hotel Group uh, during my 30 years there. And people would ask me at the end, well, well, how can you be responsible for over a thousand hotels in a hundred countries, right? And my thing was that I said, well, I'm not responsible for that. They're responsible for themselves. My role is to make sure that they're aware of what could impact them negatively, what they could prepare for, how they could mitigate risk. Uh, so 
in a lot of ways, what the way I explained it to people that in the corporate office that also asked me what I did all day was, well, I'm like in revenue management or finance, you, you're a forecaster. Uh, you're trying to figure out how much money we're going to make next year, what prices we should have, that kind of thing. My role was exactly the same. We, we knew where we had hotels, so we were trying to forecast what issues do they need to be prepared for. You know, even back in the mid-90s, we made a conscious decision to move from what we call the control function to a support function. And so corporate security was all about supporting our hotels with the tools and resources, expertise, whatever they needed to take care of whatever they needed to take care of. We were there to support them. You can really get a sense from what you're saying of how this role moved from being a reactive role to very much a preventative role in terms of preventing any potential catastrophes that may occur in the hotel. Now, you worked your way up to be global head of safety and security for the Radisson Hotel Group, as you mentioned there. Can you give us a sense of your day-to-day responsibilities and I suppose some of the challenges that you had to deal with? Yeah, so along the way, With the growth, um, one of the biggest challenges for me was to learn. So when I started, we had about 25 hotels. All of them were in Scandinavia, except for one. We had one hotel in Kuwait. So one of the first big challenges I faced when I was in a combined corporate role uh, while still being security manager in the hotel I started in was the invasion of Kuwait by Iraq in 1990. When you talk about your time in Kuwait, can you describe for us exactly what it was like on the ground with your colleagues and and what challenges you faced at that time? So at the time when the invasion happened, I wasn't in Kuwait. I was still working at our flagship hotel in Norway. My boss came to my office and wanted to fire me because we didn't have procedures for when foreign armies invaded and overtook one of our hotels as uh, and made it into their headquarters. We struggled a lot. It, I mean, this is pre-internet, right? So trying to find out what was going on, phone lines were down, how could, did, we had no idea what was going on. We were able to collaborate with the Norwegian embassy to get information back and forth with their assistance. They allowed us to then to send a, a one-page fax to the hotel every day with guidance. We, did, we didn't really know how to guide them, but uh, and they could send a one-page fax back with information about status. And so we also learned that Iraq was considering uh, allowing certain nationalities to leave Kuwait Uh, And that one of the nationalities that would be first allowed to leave was Swiss. And our general manager was Swiss. A couple of the other leaders at the hotel were Swiss. And so we knew that the general manager would refuse if he was offered to leave. And we decided that we have to save what we can save. So we sent an order down and said, if a nationality is allowed to leave they must leave. And if they don't leave, they're no longer applied by, uh, employed by the company. And so the general manager ended up leaving. A couple of other people from the hotel got sent to Baghdad as human shields. 
as happened back then. So we lost track of them for a while. But but the rest of the staff over time was able to get out on a convoy that drove across Saudi Arabia and ended up in a refugee camp in, in Jordan. And so in the, the order that we sent down said, if your nationality is allowed to leave, you must leave. If you're in a position of power, like the general manager, we didn't mention titles or anything, but then you must hand over so that everyone in the hotel is aware of who is in charge. And so the general manager, when he came out, he was upset because he wanted to stay with his team and all that. Then when we learned that the convoy had made it to Jordan, we sent the general manager to Jordan to find the staff and repatriate them to the countries that they came from. Uh, Because almost all the employees in Kuwait were from other countries. And when the general manager got there, he's thinking, how am I going to find all these people amongst the tens and thousands of people in the refugee camp? But the staff had continued to work as a team. So he said when he got there, they were flying the hotel flag above their tents. Uh, Housekeeping was taking care of the housekeeping things, the and and he said it was so easy. They they were there. They were organized. Uh, they were happy to see him. And then they were repatriated from there. And about eighty percent of those people actually came back to work for the hotel when it reopened a couple of years later. Was it as a result of what happened to you back in nineteen ninety that then plans were in place afterwards? Yeah. So what we learned was that. Anything that can happen out in the big wide world could also impact us, right? We've we known that on a small local scale, you know, anything that can happen in a city society can impact you as well. But the international conflicts and, and things like that, we didn't really see, you know, so we, we learned that we needed to have a much broader picture of the world. And so our whole thing from there on out was that we were always looking at the state of the world and bringing that down to every location that we had. And in terms of introducing these security elements into the hotel then, and I suppose clients as well, are we talking everything from minding kings and queens to CEOs and celebrities, all hotel guests, to ensuring that the hotel is as secure as possible at all times? Yeah, so it's it's uh, people first. So we did have a lot of celebrity visits and U.S. presidents and kings and queens. And one of our big focuses when it, when we were dealing with major events was to make sure that they didn't negatively impact other guests or staff as well. That we didn't they didn't become too obtrusive. But so our our whole focus, what we did to better align ourselves with. The business we were in, which was is basically taking care of people, providing shelter and, and things. So for, for us, security was pretty natural part of hospitality, even though some of our colleagues didn't always see that to begin with. So what we did, we actually changed our whole program. We went out publicly within the company and said, we're no longer a control organization, we're a support organization. We tried to get rid of almost all the verbiage that was kind of security centric and tried to rewrite our policies and procedures with more hotel speak. So we changed our the motto for our department to, or we developed one actually, and we called it Always Care. And that was kind of how we explained to 
people at every every level in the hotel group, every level at the of the hotels was that this is our job. This is everyone's job is to always care. And we said, if you care about people, if you care about property, if you care about the world around you, you become better at taking care of it, right? You you ha- It all starts with caring about people and each other and the properties we're in and the world we live in. You just touched on it there, but I imagine one of the most challenging aspects for you, Paul, and your colleagues was to ensure the smooth running of the hotel with most of the guests completely unaware of the type of work that you do. Yeah, I think even my mum had no idea what I did until she congratulated me when I started teaching because she said, you finally got a real job. A lot of people still look at us as kind of being like glorified security guards and and being separate from the business. But I always said that the strength of our department was that, and it was a small one, so there's only a few of us, but every one of us had kind of started out in hotel operations somehow, even though we were in security. Just because of the way hotels were organized and what happened, you ended up doing a lot of different things from duty management to you know getting involved in finance and budget planning. So we understood it was a business. And we were very conscious about saying to each other that our job was security, but our business was hotels and hospitality. And of course, the financial side of things as well. When you consider how security would contribute to revenue growth as well as providing safety in any operation or business, you know, revenue is key. So what was the value of security to hospitality from a financial viewpoint? So that was another thing that we changed through the years was that to begin with, it was all about loss prevention. So a lot of hotel security teams are called loss prevention departments. It's, I don't know if it's an old traditional thing or what, but we moved from that to focusing on how could we positively contribute probably around 2010, where we really started to focus on the fact we, we'd, we'd always kind of known that if we built good relationships with some of our corporate clients, with government ministries, things like that, that did help build business for us, but we couldn't really prove it. And then we saw after the financial crisis of 2008, 2009, there was a huge focus in companies on first and foremost compliance, financial risk compliance. But then they moved towards looking at their companies, looked at their whole risk, and they could see that their number one risk was information and people. So proprietary information and the people that work for them and the combination of the two. And then when these people are moving around the world, that's when the people and the information is most at risk. And so we could see our hotels were getting more and more intrusive questionnaires and demands from corporate clients saying, we need to come in and, you know, inspect your hotel from top to bottom. You need to answer all these questions. And there was two problems with that. The one was we didn't want our hotels to answer all those questions because it was basically a transfer of liability. And if they answered, for example, that, yes, every single staff member is trained in, you know, basic safety and security procedures, you could bet that on the day something happened, there would be a casual staff member or something that hadn't been trained and then the hotel would be liable for whatever went wrong, kind of. So we didn't want them answering those kind of questions. And then the second thing was that 
some companies were employing third-party companies to do inspections, and they would come in and they would say, we need to see your, your server rooms, we need to see how you're protecting all of our information. And for us, that was our most important information as well. And so we weren't about to allow a third-party person to come into our server room and see how it, where it was, how it was accessed, how it was secured, what it contained. Because, I mean, I couldn't go to Microsoft headquarters and say, how do you guys do it, right? So they couldn't ask to see their secret places. And so what we did was we went to those companies and we said, listen, you know, we built relationships with their corporate security people and said, you know, you know as well as I do that we can't just open our doors to and give this information to a third-party person that you've hired, and then we have no control over what happens when they leave. So what do you actually need from our hotels? And what can we actually provide? And how do we do it? And this is our program. And what would you like us to tweak? What can we tweak? And we built these relationships. And that really led to some huge unexpected incremental revenues for our company. Which is wonderful to hear. When you're thinking about building these relationships, I mean, how exactly do the industries of hospitality and security overlap today? I mean, do security companies take over the roles traditionally held by people in hospitality, like receptionists, visitor services and so on? How is the training evolving to prepare people working in the hospitality industry with the necessary skill set? What are those skills? Yeah, so we can see that that's happened, especially not in the traditional hospitality industry, which unfortunately I think is still really lagging in their understanding of the importance of security for their businesses. But if you look at, if you go into any major office complex in the United States, you go through security to get into the office building, right? And in a lot of places, even around Europe, you'll see security has taken on the role of visitor services. Uh, they're the ones that register guests that come in. So where it used to be maybe a security guard in the lobby and some service personnel behind the desk, a lot of those functions are now combined. It's security people behind the desk. And I think that's a trend that's going to continue. I'm not exactly sure always that training of those security personnel behind the desk has changed and that's where I think hospitality training can really help because understanding the, the, the value of being hospitable towards people as a way to get more input and information from them that can help you decide whether or not there's a risk at play here or not, it's a huge value. Paul, how does the volatility in the world, thinking of you know civil unrest or international political tensions and so on. How does this volatility influence the industry today? Um, I think it's always been influencing it. We, in our safety and security program at risk, uh, Radisnet, we um, developed, we actually called our program Tricks, which some people didn't think was a great name for a security program. But um, it was an acronym that stood for threat assessment plus risk mitigation plus incident response capability plus crisis management, communication, and continuity. That's a mouthful. That was a formula. That's why we called it tricks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, it was a formula. You add up those 
elements and you that equals the S, which was safe, secure, and sellable hotels. And so volatility in the world, and that's why I go back to our role with forecasting, was what is it that's actually happening outside in the, the world, outside of our hotels, but how's that going to impact us? And that could be anything from there's going to be less travel, so hotels are going to be downsizing, right? Or hotels are going to be dropping their prices and get a different kind of guest mix in, which bring a different kind of risk. And then when things really go wrong, you have to be prepared for the risk that you can't mitigate, right? So what's your response going to be to that? And when that doesn't work, what's your response going to be to that, right? How, about you, how are you going to manage the crises? And as I mentioned before, you know, our, our first country evacuation was Kuwait in 1990. And that happened pretty much with our involvement, but it helped us learn how to prepare for those kind of events at an early stage. When you think back to that time in 1990 um, and your time in Kuwait, the fact that you had to do a mass evacuation at the hotel and now present day and how hotels manage potential threats like that. The difference is extraordinary from someone who's seen it firsthand in the industry. You must be surprised at how evolved the security industry has become since then. Yeah, it's become really involved. I think there's there's a little bit of a risk that we think we can make perfect plans that will be applied to any situation. But the situation is never like the plan anyway. So you have to be... That the plan has to be adaptable to the situation as it unfolds. One really good thing that we did in the hotel industry, and it started back about 2005, was to set up a, a working group between the corporate security leaders of the major hotel companies. Uh, that happened following a spate of terrorist attacks in different parts of the world where we all kind of figured out that protecting our own hotels wasn't enough. We needed to work together so that we could protect as many people as possible at destinations. Because even if a neighbor hotel or a different brand got attacked, it impacted our hotel, our people at the destination. So it was worse for the destination than for the brand. So collaboration was a big thing that we brought in. Uh, Paul, something else that uh, didn't exist when you started out your career would have been the threat of cybersecurity. How different is, is this threat now of cybersecurity to physical attack? Is it more challenging for those in your industry to manage as a result? Yeah, it's, I mean, cybersecurity, again, I said, you know, back in 2010, companies were talking about their biggest two risks were information and people, right? And so the information side of thing is becoming extremely challenging. I think I put out probably about 10 years ago, one of our key threats was how are we going to know what's actually right and what's wrong, what information is credible and what's not. And that challenge is just becoming exponentially harder to deal with today. Everyone is dealing with the same challenges just from logging onto your iPhone and going online. You have to second guess whether your news is coming from a trusted source. And as a secure, corporate security team where our number one thing was forecasting, the reliance on credible information that we could analyze and turn into intelligence, it's getting harder by the second, right? 
Paul, you've worked in 60 countries on four continents, which is just an incredible achievement in itself. And now you're running your own consultancy companies in the security sector, one of which is called North Point International. So I'm just wondering, how is the independent sector for you? How does it differ from being part of a, of a massive global chain for 30 years? So, yeah, when we set up uh, North Point International, the, the three founders of it, Originally, were all corporate security leaders from different hotel groups. We wanted to provide some sort of expertise and support to hotels and hotel companies that don't have their own resources. Because most hotel groups, unless they're in the, like the top 10, 15, probably don't have a lot of internal resources. And our learnings from before when we collaborated on these things in our large companies was that there's a lot of risk out there. And we know that owners of these properties are worried, but they don't know where to start. They don't think they can afford to hire somebody. Uh, So we have all this experience and expertise. So that's what we provide is to, to try to share to companies that don't have it. But then along came COVID and our first client was one of the big companies that needed to restart their program after COVID. My goodness, an extraordinary time, no doubt. So interesting that you managed to capture a market that was overlooked in a sense. You mentioned the top hotels, 10 or 15 of them, that had the resources and the financial backing to invest in security properly. But everyone else is left far behind, even though security is obviously a huge priority for them too. Interested to hear, before we finish up today, Paul, what your future predictions for the industry uh, might be and what role technology you think will play in the advancement of corporate security over the next decade, let's say. Well, I think to start with the last question first, I think technology is getting better, more affordable, but it's the application of technology that's really where the benefits lie. And so we always told our hotels, don't be driven by fear or vendors, be driven by threat. So when you're making these decisions, you need to know how is this technology going to be applied? What other benefits might it have for our whole operation? Can you use security technology as a way to improve sales or services or other things, What wider applications? And I think there'll be a lot of stuff that comes down the pipeline there that where that will be more possible, especially now that the overlap is becoming more visible between security and hospitality. People will start looking more at other benefits that things can do. Paul, it's clearly quite a dynamic area to get involved in. So for people who might be listening and might be interested in a career in the hospitality sector or indeed in the security sector, I mean, it's just going to grow exponentially over the next decade, really, isn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, hospitality is one of the industries that uh, struggles the most to find skilled and qualified staff. And It's still most hospitality educational programs don't have a big focus on security, which is unfortunate because then you end up with operators that haven't been taught that security would be beneficial. So they know they have to follow rules and regulations, but they don't see the benefits that security could add to their business outside of that. Will that change? Um, I think so. And again, and I think that it's the security industry that can drive that. If we're able to better train our people to 
understand the values they can bring through hospitality, it will open up careers. But hospitality also remains one of the business sectors where you can build your own career. It's not like you need to be a certified electrician or anything like that. You can learn that business from the inside. And if you're willing to travel, if you're willing to learn, if you're willing to change, you can do what I did. (laughs) Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been fascinating chatting to you about these very interesting industries that you've been involved in for so long. Continued success to you in the independent sector too. Thank you very much. Great to speak with you today. Thanks so much to Paul Moxness for sharing his story with us today and his journey through the world of hospitality and security has been fascinating to listen to. And before we wrap up, I'd like to remind you once again about an exciting initiative from Paul. He mentioned earlier that he's recently launched a new security information portal tailored to the hospitality sector. And you can check it out on northpoint.substack for the latest updates and expert guidance. So that's it from us for the moment. Remember, at SPS, we're always reassuringly there for our clients, providing global assistance whenever and wherever you need it. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to get notified of brand new episodes. And until the next time, take care and stay safe.